Every morning I drive my two oldest girls to school, and uh, on our way to school, very often we listen to music together. And uh, we like to listen to upbeat, fast music in the morning, kind of get us going. And, and uh, you know, even though I'm older, sometimes the music gets going, and I'm kind of feeling it, right? Older people can still feel it sometimes when the, when the music gets going. And so uh, I'll be into it. And, I, and I, uh, a lot of you haven't seen this side of me, but I'll do a lot of, like, dancing in the car and kind of, like, all my, doing all my different moves. And then I'll look in my, my rearview mirror, and my, da- my daughters are just sitting there. They're not dancing. I'm the only one dancing, and so I'm always trying to get them to dance with me. And then, and then, and then, what I what I often do is I'll show them some move, and I'll be like, "Is this a move the kids still do? Like, what about this move?" And I'm trying to show all my little dance moves. I'm trying to get them to do my dance moves. They're like, "Dad, they're like, Dad, no, 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 we can't, can't." Don't do that. And I always kind of scare them by saying, I bet your friends would love this. If I did this in your classroom, I bet your friends would love this. And they're always so afraid that I'm going to do this. But, but last week, they finally were like, all right, Dad, we're going to teach you a cool move. And so they taught me this move. I don't even remember what it's called, but your hands start here, and then they go down here, and they kind of like they're re-gripping a wheel, and it's called like the globe. I don't know what it's called or something like that. And they're trying to show me the dance, and I'm like, well, I can't do that and drive at the same time. It requires both my hands. But uh, it's, it's interesting as, as you spend most of your life uh, teaching your children different things. Isn't it interesting, parents, when you get to the point where they start teaching you things and you start learning things from your children, whether it's a dance move, whether it's uh, something about the video games that they play. You know your children can teach you more about your phone uh, or your computer or the internet than you know or the, the slang, the, the new terms that people are using, the um, common core math. That's something that's a mystery to me because uh, my girls, I watch my girls doing math and I don't understand what they're doing and they have to teach me. It's good to learn and it's good to learn from all different sources. And this morning as we continue our series on wisdom, our big idea this morning is simply this, that the wise are teachable. The wise are teachable. It's wisdom to position yourself to learn. And we've been mostly in the book of uh, Proverbs chapter 3. And on verse 7, Proverbs chapter 3, the the writer says this, Be not wise in your own eyes. Basically, here's what he's saying. Don't be overconfident in your own wisdom. Don't be overconfident in what you know and how you see things. Don't rely on yourself alone. Be not wise in your own eyes, but fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And so this morning, we're going to talk about being teachable. And our main text, actually, is going to be in a different part of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 15. I'm going to read it to you. It's in your handout that you got when you came in, verses 30 through 33. I'm reading to you from the ESV, and it says this. The light of the eyes rejoice the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. Now listen, it says, the ear that listens to life-giving reproof will dwell among the wise. Here's what that means. The person who's willing to listen to correction and teaching from others will be at home amongst the wise. It'll be their place of belonging and their place of dwelling. Verse 32, but whoever ignores instruction despises himself or herself, but he who listens to reproof gains intelligence, the fear honor, Proverbs 15. What we're going to do together this morning is we're going to answer three simple questions. First, why should we be teachable? Secondly, how can we be teachable? And then last, how does the gospel make us teachable? Okay, Why should we be teachable? How can we be teachable? And how does the gospel make us teachable? It's going to be a very practical, maybe, maybe the most practical message you've probably ever heard from me this morning on being teachable. So first, why should you be teachable? And there's three reasons. Number one is simply this. You don't know what you don't know. You don't know what you don't know. Oh, my dad was a wonderful teacher. Many of you know that. And he taught me many important things throughout my life. 
But one thing he really didn't teach me about because it wasn't a skill of his was doing work, like handyman type work. Like if you knew my dad, like that wasn't his deal. He wasn't Mr. Fix-It. He didn't go around the house fixing things. And so I, I kind of didn't learn that stuff and, and I don't really know that stuff. I mean, I, have, I think I have tools in my house somewhere, but I don't really know what to do with them. Like the extent of my ability is changing a light bulb. Thank God I married a woman who's very, very handy and good at that sort of stuff. But because I don't have that skill set, one of the most intimidating, frustrating things for me to do is to walk into Home Depot or Lowe's looking for something. Now, some of you, when you walk into Home Depot and Lowe's, you feel the way I feel when I walk into Wegmans. It's like, ah, you're just like, you're so excited to be in Home Depot and Lowe's. Some of you could spend a whole afternoon in Home Depot just looking at different gadgets and different, see, that's all I know, gadgets. I don't even know what else to call them. Different things that are made out of different materials. And, uh, but when I walk in there, I'm immediately uh, intimidated, overwhelmed, and frustrated. And the reason is this. Very often, I don't even know the right question to ask right? That's a terrible place to be. We're like, you know that you don't, not only do you not know the answer, you don't know the questions to ask to get the answer. When it comes to navigating life and decisions and relationships, big choices, very often we don't even know the right question to ask because we don't know what we don't know. And true humility, the verse said that humility comes before honor. True humility, listen to this, it goes beyond saying, I don't have the answer. Humility is beyond, I don't have the answer. Humility is, I don't know the right question. And there's times in life where we don't know the right question. You ever been there? You don't know what you don't know, and we need to be teachable. And if you aren't teachable, you'll stop learning. And if you stop learning, you stop growing. And if you aren't teachable, it's my conviction that you lose your, youth, your usefulness in the kingdom of God. Being teachable, like, if I had to choose a leader to invest my time and my energy into, and I had the choice between somebody who was very talented but not very teachable versus somebody who didn't have the same amount of talent but was very teachable. You know this. This is true in any world. This is true in the business world. This is true everywhere. You choose the person who is teachable, the one who will learn and the one who will grow and has the humility to recognize, I don't know what I don't know. And because you don't know what you don't know and I don't know what I don't know, we need to position ourselves around other people who know the things that we don't know. Also, some, the reason we need to be teachable is not just we don't know what we don't know, but also we don't see what others see. Other people can see things that we can't see. Proverbs 12, 15 says, the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Have you ever noticed that you rarely disagree with your own opinion? <laughs> we rarely disagree with our own opinions. We tend to be overly confident about our ability to see things, right? In fact, if you, if you really pay attention to a lot of your arguments with your spouse or with your family member, a lot of it is a disagreement over how things were seen. I saw it this way, I experienced it this way, and we tend to be overly confident in our own opinions, and we're overconfident in the way we see things, but isn't it interesting that I think we're also very often overconfident in the way we see ourselves? We think we see ourselves pretty well. There's a lady named Tasha Yurick. She's a doctor, she's an organizational psychologist, she's a researcher, and she's a New York Times bestselling author. And she did a five-year research program, or five-year, yeah, five-year research program on the topic of self-awareness. And she wrote a book, I have it in my car, uh, called Insight. And self-awareness is basically the ability to see yourself, your character, your feelings, your motives, and your desires, to see yourself correctly, how you fit in the world or how you fit in the room, or how you fit in the meeting, or how you fit in your company or your organization. And also it's the ability to understand how other people see you. 
And in her research project, can I give you the bad news first? The bad news is this. 95% of people think they're self-aware. 95% of people think they are self-aware, but when they did the research in the study, only about 10% of people actually are. Which means, and this is, her, this is the way she said it, 80% of people are lying to themselves about lying to themselves. We think we're self-aware, but we're not. That's the bad news. The good news is you can improve. Self-awareness is an area in your life where you can grow and you can improve. And it starts with being able to see what other people see and not just see your own perspective so that you can learn, so that you can be teachable. In Proverbs eleven fourteen, the author says that in the abundance of counselors, there's safety. With many wise voices, it, it protects us. It sets up a, per, a protection around our lives because we need other people's perspective. Tim Keller and Kathy Keller have written a devotional on the book of Proverbs. If you want to study more from Proverbs, it's a wonderful devotional to get. And in his January 24th devotional, he says this, wisdom is to see things through as many other eyes as possible. Wisdom is to see things through as many other eyes as possible. Here's my question to you this morning. Have you seen the issues, the choices, the challenges in your life through as many other eyes as possible? Or are you overly confident of your own perspective? One sign of a fool is this. Their perspective on life is enough for them. That is a sure sign of someone who's walking in foolishness, that my perspective on life is enough for me. I look around this room, and I think there's so many people in this room that I've learned from. People that I've learned things from, Rick uh, back there, Gary right here have taught me things on electrical and construction. I mean, I can't do any of it, but I have a little more, I have a little more head knowledge now. I've, I've watched them do things. Linda Jordan, who will be here in the second service, she was my first ever Sunday school teacher. Many of you, I've listened to you teach, you've invested into my life. The bloomers back there, they recently introduced me to Buck's Seasoning which was such a blessing from God, buck seasoning. If you don't know what buck seasoning is, you need to get your hand on it. I, I made some chicken last night with bucks. See, here's my point. There's not a single person in this room or any room that you can't learn something from. You can always learn something from someone else if you'll take the time to see things the way they see them, but we don't see what others see. So who do we learn from? We have to learn from all kinds of people. We need to learn from people who are where we wanna be people who are ahead of you. If you only get advice from people who are in the same uh, season of life as you, you're very limited in the advice you're getting. Look at people who are where you wanna be. Get advice from them. Get advice from people in a similar stage of your journey so you can learn from them. Also, get advice from even people who are younger than you. Learn from people that you disagree with. That's an important thing to be able to do. People that you disagree with, to be able to learn from them. Learn from voices from a distance by reading books and listening to podcasts, even studying other cultures in other countries. See, a smart person can teach anyone, but a wise person can learn from anyone. And it's a big difference. A smart person can teach anyone, but a wise person knows I can learn. I can learn from anyone. And there's no one in your life that you can't learn from because they see things differently than you see them. The third reason why we need to be teachable is because you don't see what you've always seen. Let me explain. You don't see what you've always seen. There's a pastor named Andy Stanley, and he calls this the curse of familiarity. What he says is, the longer you're close to something, the less likely you are to see it accurately. That's why when people walk into this church, we want their feedback immediately because they bring fresh eyes. They help us see things that we haven't seen, that we wouldn't have thought of. Some of you have had this experience when you're, you're dating somebody and the relationship gets serious enough to bring them home. 
to meet mom and dad. And they come into your house or they come into a family gathering for the first time and, and they, they survive, hopefully. And then afterwards, as you're driving home, they begin to ask you questions like, hey, did you know that your uncle, fill in the blank, or did you know that when, when it was time to eat, everybody did this? Or wasn't it, is it weird? That, is this how it always is? And you're going, I never noticed. I've never, I haven't, why? Because you can't see what you've always seen. And that's why we need to be teachable. We need people to come in with fresh eyes on a situation. And here's the thing, I hope you're hearing this. All of this, you can't give it to yourself. You can't give these things to yourself. You need other people. You need to be teachable. Okay, so why do we need to be teachable? You don't know what you don't know. You can't see what others sees, and you can't see or you don't see what you've always seen. Now, second question, how, right? So hopefully you're with me. Hopefully you're with me. How can we be teachable? I want to give you a few practical thoughts on how we can be more teachable together this morning. And the first one is simply this. You need to surround yourself. Surround yourself. And let me give you a few uh, different categories of this. First, you need to surround yourself with God's word. That's where we start, right? As, as believers, as a Christian church, uh, the messages you hear on Sunday morning, the teachings that you hear on Wednesday night, it always comes from the word of God. This is our foundation. This is the rock on, this is really what we stand on. I mean, the rock on which we stand is Jesus, but this is his word that he's given to us. And so we need to surround ourselves with God's word. And if we think that we can navigate life with wisdom, and be teachable, but we're not learning from God's word, we're at danger. This is where we start. We surround ourselves with God's word. The psalmist said in Psalm 119, 105, that your word is a lamp unto my feet, and it's a light unto my path. It shows me the way I should go. And, and in the New Testament, James, the half-brother of Jesus, tells us that when we, when we come to the word of God, whether it's through reading or whether it's through teaching, we shouldn't just be hearers of the word, but we should be doers of the word to put into practice the things that we are being taught. So scripture is our first teacher. This is the scripture teaches us. And of course, the spirit of God uses scripture to teach us. The spirit of God is not working separate from scripture to teach us. And the scriptures are not working separate from the spirit. We need the word and the spirit together. If the spirit starts telling you something that's not in the word, then you better be super careful about what you think the quote unquote spirit is saying to you because the spirit speaks by using the word. And so here we are, the wisdom of God is found in the written word of God, leading us and guiding us. Let me ask you this reflection question. When is the last time you read something in scripture or heard something taught from scripture that bothered you, that confronted something in you, that challenged something you thought previously to be true, that challenged the way you're living your life? And if you can't remember the last time that scripture in some way confronted you and challenged you with a truth that provoked you to change in some way, then one of two things is happening. Either you're not reading scripture or you're reading it through a filter or you're reading it in such a way that it's only affirming your already held biases and preferences. And we're very good at that, by the way. So be very careful about approaching scripture in such a way that we don't stand over scripture, but scripture is over us. It's not even so much that we interpret scripture, but scripture interprets us. And we need the wisdom that's in here. Hebrews 4.12 says that the word of God is alive and it's active. And if it's alive and it's active, it almost has the nature of a person in the sense that it will provoke you. The scripture should provoke you. They should challenge you. They should bother you. They should offend your cultural sensibilities at time. They should change you. They should shape you. And they should teach you. And if that's not happening, then maybe you're not surrounding yourself with God's word. So we surround ourselves with his word, but also we have to surround ourselves with people. We can't do this on our own. 
In order to be teachable, we need to lean into opportunities to be around each other and to know each other. And that's one of the reasons, by the way, I hope you all sign up for dinner parties. It's not just about food. I mean, the food is fine. It's not just about food. Go there that night to learn something. Don't go there that night thinking, I can't wait to tell everybody my story and impress people with all the things I know, but go there as a learner and position yourself saying, these are 15 to 20 people that I don't get to talk with very often, and I'm here tonight to learn and to be teachable. Don't miss that opportunity. Sign up today before you go for dinner parties. We need to learn from all kinds of people, especially people that are different from you. People of other races, classes, political and religious viewpoints, and also learn from your critics. See, it's foolish not to listen to the advice of others, but it's also foolish to only listen to one kind of advice, the kind of advice that already affirms everything you already believe and think. Surround yourself with people, even people who will provoke you and challenge you. Sometimes I listen to podcasts or I read books, and the whole time I'm like, ah, I don't like it, I don't agree with it, I don't, underst- I don't always understand it, but I need to hear it because I need to learn, I need to grow, I need to be teachable. So pay attention and surround yourself with people. And then last thing you want to surround yourself with this, surround yourself with learning opportunities. Anytime you can learn, lean in. Just be curious. I read a great article by a pastor in Canada one time, and he was talking about the danger of cynicism and how we're an increasingly cynical world. If you don't realize it, the Northeast is known for being cynical. We're kind of a cynical people. Syracuse is a test market for things because we're especially cynical. And he said that, in his opinion, one of the cures for cynicism is curiosity. If we'll just be curious, if we'll just want to learn, if we'll just want to know, if you'll just ask one more question and not walk away thinking you've learned everything, surround yourself with learning opportunities. How do you do that? Take a class. You know, pay to take a class or take a free class online. There's classes online that you can take. iTunes University, learn something. Read books, listen, read articles, listen to podcasts about stuff that has nothing to do with what you do at work. That's important so that you learn broadly and you do more things. The start of every year, I do the same thing. I order the top five nonfiction books off the New York Times list from the previous year, and I read them. They have nothing to do with church, nothing to do with religion, nothing to do with Jesus most of the time. They're often history or sociology, but I read those things because they help, my, help me be teachable. And here's the other thing that they remind me. There's so much out there I don't know. <laughs> it's so easy to think we figured it out. There's so much out there I don't know. And the more you learn, the more you realize you don't know everything. And so it's important that we do these things. Here's one more suggestion. Take a break from acting films, superhero films. I mean, I like them too. Take a break from the apocalyptic zombie TV shows that you watch. And every now and then, mix in a documentary. (laughs) Watch a documentary and learn something interesting about something that you previously didn't care about. It's going to make you teachable. So we need to surround ourselves. Secondly, how do we become more teachable? We need to ask better questions. I'm convinced this is one of the biggest challenges before the the young generation is conversation. Having meaningful conversation because all of their conversing is done over their screens. They don't even use words anymore. Now it's just emojis and bitmojis and memes and gifs and stuff like that. So the ability to actually have, when I find somebody who asks good questions, I want to hang out with them because there's just not a lot of people out there. In fact, I, I've had full conversations with grown anything. One question about me. I just keep asking them questions over and over, and they never even ask me anything. Now, I, that's fine, because I don't necessarily want to talk about myself, but that's an indicator that they're not very teachable. If you're not asking people questions, and if you're not asking good questions and better questions, the key to conversation, and quite 
candidly, the key to having friends is asking questions and asking good questions about people, about their lives. And then after you think you've asked all your questions, ask another question. I think it's, um, oh, I'm blanking on who it is, a famous talk show host. He said, the greatest question ever is simply the question, why? Whatever you have the right question, follow up with the question, why? People will talk and teach you if you have the right question. So let me give you some examples of some questions that you could ask people when you're trying to learn about their work or their hobby or their activity. Uh, how did you get into that? What, what, was the, what was your journey to get to this place? What's your first memory of doing that thing? You know, there's a guy in our church, a new guy in our church who recently on Instagram, I've seen that he works on wood. He does woodworking. So I'm curious, why did you get into that? What's so interesting about that to you? And what's rewarding about it? What do you really enjoy about it? What do you hope to do with it someday? Do you share this hobby with anyone? Um, here's another question. What do, you, what do you love about it? What's frustrating about it? What's challenging about it? What or who inspires you when you do that? How have you improved? How do you know if you're improving? How do you know if you're doing great? What's next? See, those are just some questions, but, but learn to ask good questions of people so that you can learn. And if you're genuinely curious, and I really think that curiosity and humility kind of go together. I know that humility and teachability go together, and I think curiosity might go with humility also. Because if you don't care about other people or learning from other people, it's not a sign of humility, is it? But humility says, I have something to learn from you. And so ask better questions. Now, when we go out after service and we're out there hanging out, we're going to see, everybody's going to test each other's questions. I remember I was talking to a young guy in our church who's in sales. And he said the best piece of advice he ever got when they were, he, he sells cars, the best piece of advice he ever got from one of his bosses was this, don't worry about being interesting, be interested. That's good, right? Don't worry about be, being interesting, be interested in them. Sometimes people are like, oh, I don't want to go to that party. I don't want to hang out with that group. I'm not a very interesting person. I don't have a lot to say. You don't have to be interesting. Just be interested. Ask good questions, right? Third thing that we can do to be more teachable is seek out feedback. What's something you want to get better at? Every single one of you, if, I were to, if you had five, maybe it's something at home. Maybe it's a hobby. Maybe it's a habit you want to break or a habit you want to start. What's something? So you need to get feedback. Feedback is important. Last Sunday, Jason shared with us in our wisdom series, and then on Wednesday, we sat down together, and Jason said, give me feedback. Why? Because he he's teachable. He wants to learn. He wants to grow. So what do you want to improve at? Well, you have to get feedback. You know, you don't improve on accident. You need that. How do you get feedback? Well, first, you've got to pick the right person to ask, someone who shares your values, but not necessarily your perspective right? Someone who, who shares some of the things, but also has a unique way of looking at things. By the way, the right person to ask for feedback, you've learned this, right? It's not always the person closest to you. Because sometimes people close to you, there's too much emotional entanglement for them to be honest with you. Sometimes you need to ask somebody who actually has nothing to lose or nothing to risk by being honest with you. Actually, it was a research done. This shocked me. There's a study that was done that have shown that people can watch a stranger for five minutes on video interacting with other people Never meet that person and then evaluate his or her personality as accurately as a close family member or friend can. So don't always assume that only the people closest to you can actually give you helpful feedback. Sometimes it's people who aren't that close to you. You also, if you want feedback, ask in advance, right? Ask before. So if I wanted feedback on this message, afterwards, if I went up to John and said, John, give me some feedback on my message, he probably could give me some feedback. But if I had gone to him before service and said, John, would you listen today as I'm preaching because I want feedback? He would probably be listening a little bit differently right now because he knows that I'm going to ask him, right? So if you want feedback on something, don't ask people after you did it. It's almost too late. Ask them before you do it so that they can watch through that filter. 
Be specific about the feedback you want. So instead of saying to John, John, give me feedback on my sermon, John, talk to me specifically about the transitions in my message. Did I, were they smooth? Did I keep the room with me? See, the more specific your request is, the more, the more helpful the feedback is that you're going to get. Pay careful attention to who you won't ask for feedback. This is one of the biggest indicators that you're about to make a foolish decision. You won't ask people their feedback if you think that they won't agree with you, right? You ever seen this when you're about to make a bad decision? You only ask people for feedback if you know they're not gonna say no to me. They don't say no to me. Or they have the same values as me. You know, so sometimes people who maybe are part of your family, who know that you love Jesus and you have a certain set of values, when they're gonna make a decision that's unwise, they won't always come to mom and dad for advice. Why? Because they know what they're gonna hear. They already know what they're gonna hear. So be very, pay very close attention to who you will not ask for advice. So sometimes that's actually a clue as to uh, the, the danger of the decision you're about to make. And then lastly, when you ask for feedback, be humble and grateful. Receive it. There's nothing worse than somebody asking for feedback and you try to give it and then they immediately become defensive and try to explain why you're, if you're gonna ask for it, receive it humbly and gratefully. Now, before we move on, what about when you get feedback that you didn't ask for? Ever been there? Unsolicited feedback, we call it criticism, right? What do we do? Well, I think Tim Keller's very helpful on this. Here's what, Tim Keller's a very public figure. He gets criticized for lots of different things. Here's what he said. If someone is criticizing you and the criticism is mostly mistaken, identify the 20% of the criticism that is fair and accurate and without excuse, be willing to take it to heart. The strongest Christians are the ones most willing to repent. The strongest Christians are the ones most teachable, most willing to change. So here's what he says. How many of you have, well, you don't have to raise your hand, we've all done this. You've received criticism and you say to yourself, they don't know me. They don't know my circumstance. They don't understand. That's not accurate. A lot of times we receive criticism with that. And so here's what we do. Here's the mistake we make. We just dismiss the criticism altogether. That's a mistake. Criticism is a gift, right? Now, when it comes from a friend, it's wonderful. The Proverbs say the wound of a friend, it's, it's faithful, it's helpful for us, right? But even from someone who's not a friend, here's what a Christian learns to do. They learn to say, Spirit of God, if there's anything in there that's helpful for me, I want it. If it's 1% of the criticism is true, let me, let me consider it and let me respond to it as opposed to just wholly dismissing it. Being teachable means being able to admit when you are wrong. Here's my last thought on how we can be teachable and then we'll close. Live on mission. Live on mission. Now, this might seem sort of out of the blue. What does this have to do with being teachable? What is mission? You know, at, at Trinity, our mission as a church is to make disciples for the glory of our God and for the good of our community. And I genuinely believe that when you read the scriptures, that's the same mission that God has given all of those who follow him, to make disciples of all nations, teaching them, right, baptizing them, and, and, and so on and so forth. This is the great commission. And so our mission is to make disciples. And one of the more practical ways that we can make disciples and get into disciple-making relationships is to be a teachable person. You're like, I want to disciple people. And, and sometimes here's what people say, here's what people mean when they say I want to disciple people. I want to tell people how to live their lives. I want to teach people everything I know. But what if we approach discipleship as, I wanna be teachable. I wanna learn from others, position myself to learn from them, and maybe in return they will learn from me. See, traditional evangelism or discipleship is this. Let me tell you everything I know, let me tell you why I am right, and let me tell you why you are wrong. And now do you wanna pray a prayer, right? Well, who wants to pray a prayer after they've just been told everything that they believe is wrong? Here's what real life discipleship can look like. Hey, let's be friends. 
and let's learn from each other. I'm curious about you. I would like to learn about you. Don't overcomplicate making disciples. Don't over-spiritualize it. What is making a disciple? Be a good neighbor. Be the best neighbor your neighbors have ever had. Be a good coworker. Be a good friend. Share life. Learn from each other. And then as you learn from them and as they are willing to learn from you, God's going to give you opportunities to show them that your values in some ways are different than theirs. And it's based on a relationship that you have with Jesus. So how do we become more teachable? We surround ourselves. We ask better questions. We seek out feedback. We live on mission. All right, in our last question this morning. Now, so far this morning, this message has been a lot of advice, right? A lot of practical advice. I hope it's been helpful. I hope you've taken something away from it. But you should know by now that at Trinity, we're not, we don't build our faith on good advice. We build our faith on good news. So the last question is really the most important question, and it's this. How does the gospel make us teachable? It's one thing to say, yes, I should be teachable, and here are ways that I can be teachable, but it's another thing to actually have the right heart to be teachable, to be consistently teachable. And some people think they're teachable because they love to learn. They're voracious learners. But that doesn't necessarily mean you're teachable. That just means you like to learn. Being teachable means you can learn from many, many people. You can learn from anyone. So how does the gospel make us teachable? Well, let's, let's ask this question. What keeps us from being teachable? What prevents us from the, having the humility to position ourselves to learn and to grow and to be teachable? And I think it's two things. I think we aren't teachable for one of two reasons, pride or fear. Those are the two obstacles to being teachable, pride or fear. Well, what is pride? Pride is rejoicing in the wrong things. Pride is rejoicing in the wrong things. Pride is building your identity, your value, and your worth on something other than Jesus. Pride is looking to something and saying, that's how I know that I'm good, and I'm prideful, I'm proud of it, and that's who I am. So pride is energy and your things. What is fear? Fear is losing your strength, your energy, and your life for the wrong reasons. Fear is losing your energy, your strength, and your life for the wrong reasons. Let me define those again for us, and we're going to finish here. Pride is rejoicing in the wrong things. Fear is losing your joy for the wrong things. Well, what's the very first verse that we read in Proverbs 15 this morning, verse 30? I think it'll be up there for you. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart, and good news refreshes the bones. The light of the eyes rejoices the heart. We don't rejoice in ourselves, in our wisdom, in our knowledge, and how impressive we are in our resume and the things that we've done. That's not, re- that's not what rejoices our heart. Rejoices our heart is the light of the eyes, seeing the truth, seeing the light of Jesus, seeing the light that is in Jesus, experiencing the light of the world. But then also, what refreshes our bones? What gives us energy and strength? Not getting it right every time, not proving ourselves through our performance, but it's good news. And in the Christian message, the good news is the gospel. It's the good news that Jesus Christ, what he did for us, we couldn't do for ourselves. But he willingly, gladly, joyfully, sacrificially did something for us that I can't do for myself. No mother can do for you. No father can do for you. No job can do for you. No accomplishment can do for you. No relationship, no career, no success, no moment of pleasure can't do it for you. Only Jesus could do this for us. And here's what Jesus did. He took our flaws upon himself. The things that we try to hide, the reasons we don't want to be teachable. Our pride, he took it upon himself too. Our arrogance, our, our, our lack of willingness to learn, he took it upon himself upon the cross. 
And the gospel, the good news of Jesus is this. It frees us to admit our flaws, which you have to admit your flaws if you're going to be teachable. And it frees us from the fear of being seen as stupid, worthless, useless, rejected, which will also keep you from positioning yourself to be teachable because Jesus took all our flaws upon himself. Why? To establish our worth, our value, and our acceptance before the only judge that matters, the Father, who now looks at you and me because of our faith and trust in Jesus and accepts us and loves us, even even though we don't know everything, even though we don't know what we don't know, even though we don't see what others see, even though we can't see what we've always seen. The Father still looks at us and he sees us. He says, I love you and I accept you because of what the Son has done for you. And that's how the gospel makes us teachable. You'll never have a truly teachable, humble heart if you don't really understand, not just with your head, but with your heart, that Jesus Christ has already done everything for you. So admit your foolishness. It's okay. He took your foolishness. Ask all your questions. He's a faithful God. James says he'll give wisdom to those who ask. Christians are known for many things. Not all of them are great. But here's what Christians should be known for, that we're the most humble, teachable people around. We're humble, we're teachable, we're not arrogant. Yes, we, we claim to know truth, but truth isn't just a set of beliefs or a list of doctrine. Truth is a person. That's what we know. We know a person. And it's that relationship that defines us, that shapes us, that changes us, and that makes us teachable. Let's pray together this morning.